Jesus Christ came to take away your sins. In fact, the very reason that the Son of God was revealed, the very reason that the Son of God was born into this world was to destroy what the devil had been doing or the works of the devil. Amen? And, of course, when we think at this, particularly at this time of, time of year, we think of Christ coming in, in the humility and the weakness uh, of a baby, and he did, which is amazing, that God would send the maker of the universe into this world in, in, in such weakness as a baby. So he came as a baby, but he did not come on a child's mission John says the reason the Son of God came or appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. His birth in Bethlehem was an invasion into the devil's territory to liberate you and me from the bondage to the devil's works and to his influence over us. And it is that personal. It's, it's, it's that personal. He came to set you free. From the devil. So he came as our Savior, uh, but it's interesting, he saves us by destroying something. Uh, he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, now, I would guess if I just put it to a vote, uh, how many are, are all for the devil and his works being destroyed? I mean, probably most all of us are, would say, yeah we're, yeah, we're for the devil and his works being destroyed. But just what are the devil's works? Well, verse 7 tells us that the work of the devil is sinning. It says the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the devil has, has, has damaged uh, me, and the devil has damaged you. The devil has damaged all of us in, in many ways. Uh, but primarily, he wreaks havoc and sorrow in our lives through sin. And through pulling us into various kinds of disobedience to God. And the very first time, well, John says the devil's been sinning from the beginning, and, and, and that's true. The very first time that we see the devil in human history is in the Garden of Eden. And he, where he, as you know, he seduced Eve and then threw her, Adam, into eating the, the fruit of the tree about which God had said, do not eat from this one tree. He, he incited them. To sin, he tempted them to sin. So sin began as a work of the devil, and according to John, all sin is a work of the devil. He is behind it. Uh, he's inciting it, stirring it up in in hearts. He's putting the thought of it into people's minds, cleverly scheming to pull men and women, uh, boys and girls, young people, uh, into sin. The Bible tells us the devil incited uh, David to number his soldiers so that he might glory in the size of his army. Peter tells us that Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, the devil rebelled against God and he incites human beings to respond to God in the same way. He, he, ins- he, he is at work. His work is to get you and everybody to to respond to God with that same kind of rebellion and resistance that he had in his own mind and heart from from the beginning. So the work of the devil is to sin and to keep the whole world in sin. And 
the Bible does not describe sin as as merely a, a series of mistakes or you know just individual acts of uh, disobedience to God. And and being a sinner is is not viewed as um, merely a human option that that any man or woman can walk away from um, at any time. Uh, the Bible talks about the power of sin. The Bible talks about being under under the dominion of sin. Uh, it talks about being a slave to sin. It talks about sin reigning over people. And, of course, in this passage, John says that sin is, is of the devil and the, and the one who practices sin is of the devil or has an attachment to or belongs to, is under the devil's influence. So... If sin is, is if sin is a dominion, if sin is a power that needs to be broken, if sin is a master that we need to be freed from, if sin is a work of the devil, then something very powerful needs to be destroyed. And that's what Jesus came to do. The works of the devil need to be destroyed, and that's what Jesus did. And that's he came to do that, and that's what he did. He was born into this world to destroy the root cause of our of our sin, and not only do we do we need to be freed from the practice of sinning because it's of the devil, um, but also because it just brings so much damage into our lives. I mean, sin is is incredibly damaging. You know, Peter talks about it as waging war against your soul. It, it's popular to make to make jokes about the the pleasures of sin, and it always kind of bothers me when I hear hear people say things like, "Well, like with food, saying you know that was sinfully delicious." Um, and so, to me, that that communicates such such a misunderstanding of the, the 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 tragic nature of sin and the and the damage that it does. Um, there are pleasures in sin, but when the cost of sin is seen, it's it's. It's hardly funny, hard, hard to make a joke about it. Uh, the eternal cost uh, is unspeakably horrible. The wages of sin is e death, e- eternal death. Uh, and the personal cost, the, 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 temp- the temporal cost or the personal cost that we experience in this life of, of pain and misery and heartache uh, is enormous. Um, that That woman... Uh, later on in life, living in guilt and depression over aborting her baby earlier in life. Uh, marriages destroyed by adultery. Uh, just the inner shame and guilt from all kinds of sexual sins. Uh, the, the corrosive effects of bitterness and jealousy. Uh, the lives and careers and homes and, and souls that are destroyed by alcohol and drugs and just, you know, on and on and on. The, mi- the misery and the grief and the, the loss that sin brought uh, into this world is just, is just really astounding. And, and you know, like, like one way to see a little bit of it is uh, to just look at the, think about the, the lives of Adam and Eve. Think about the grief and the loss and misery that, that came in, into their life. And it's, it's kind of a picture of, of what it does to other people too. Uh, you know, they were real people. Adam and Eve were real people. They had real feelings just like you and me. 
And if you think about this place that God put them in, that you, they were experiencing peace, they were experiencing serenity and joy and beauty and fulfillment. They were living in God's perfect garden, doing God's perfect will and just enjoying incredible beauty and harmony, uh, enjoying daily communion with, with God. And then, and then because of sin, because of the works of the devil and because of them giving themselves over to it, they were, they were cast out of the garden. And in fact, there was an angel put up there to keep them from entering back into it. I mean, they couldn't go back in. And so they were, they were cast out of, of the garden into a world of conflict and death and loneliness and hardship and pain and, and uh, disappointment. They had one of their sons murdered their other son. You know, just all just tragedy that came because of sin. And, you know, I know they, they seem like kind of a little distant from us in one sense, but uh, they, they were just like us, and their, their feeling of grief over what they had lost must have been profound. And I, I just imagine many times they must have said to each other, Adam must have said to Eve or Eve to Adam, oh, that we had never listened to the devil. You know, the cost was so great, so damaging. Um, and, and and we've all reaped consequences of the fall. We've all reaped consequences of sin. All, all of our lives um, ha- have been marred or broken or scarred in some measure, in some way, uh, because of sin. But here's the good news. God looked down from heaven, grieved, at the destruction the devil had brought about in this world, in human lives. Uh, he saw us living in the misery of sin, tempted and pulled into sin by the devil, and he sent his son to destroy what the devil had, what the devil had been doing. And that's, re- that's what verse 5 says in a little different way. It says, but you know that he appeared or, or was revealed or manifested in order that he might take away our sins. Well, to me, that prompts the question, in, in what sense uh, does Christ take away our sins? Well, we, we know, especially if you've been with us through the book of Galatians, you, we know that he forgives them. That he washes our sins away. He bore our sins in his body. He came to give himself for our sins so that we would bear them no more. In another place, it says that he became sin for us. And this is at the very heart of what Jesus came to do. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, sins it says in, in Ephesians 1. Uh, we're declared innocent, not guilty. <clears throat> Our sins are taken from us and placed on to Christ. And we rejoice in that. Uh, We rejoice that the guilt of our sin and the condemnation for our sins has been taken from us. And I I would say the the taking away of our our sins is of first and foremost uh, importance. And we should just always uh, sing, rejoice, be glad in this this sense of Christ taking away our sins. But in in these verses, he's, he's talking about something that goes beyond that. Uh, as 
J. Vernon McGee put it, he not only takes away the penalty of our sins, he also takes away the practice of sinning. Deals, he deals with the penalty of our sins and he deals with our just daily, the practice of sinning. So in these verses, he's talking, he's talking about a removal of sins in our daily lives. Um, verse 4 says, Everyone who keeps living in sin also practices disobedience. In fact, sin is disobedience, but you know that the Messiah was revealed to take away sins. That's the, whole, that's the flow of that thought. So as, as you stand in the safety of God's grace, as you stand in the safety of being declared just and righteous, uh, the practice of living in sin is taken uh, from you. It's destroyed. You may occasionally sin, but John says this work of Jesus is so powerful that you cannot continue sinning. Jesus struck a death blow to your connection with the devil and to the actual sinning in daily life. So Jesus saves you not only from the guilt, but from the darkness and the misery of continuing uh, to live in sin. He was born into this world to, to, to take you presently out of the misery and darkness of practicing sin. He came to, to, to destroy something. Power, he, he's, he's doing something really, really destructive. I mean, really powerful to break this stranglehold of sin and sinning. And that's his very mission in coming into the world, John says. Now, you know, many places in the New Testament tell us what these specific sins are that Christ takes away. I, there's no, no one complete, complete list. Uh, but we know from the scripture that takes away all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity, uh, drunkenness, slander, gossip, outbursts of anger, uh, bitterness, quarreling, envy, jealousy, hating one another, pride, selfish am- ambition, and, and, the, and it could go on and on. It's kind of like what Paul says in Galatians 5, and things like this. <laughs> uh, Titus 2.14 sums it up pretty well and says, Christ gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And I, I want to challenge you to think of this removing sin from our daily life, removing sin from your daily life. I want you to think of this, I challenge you to think of this as a cause for great joy because it really is the ultimate uh, liberation we were, we were created to live in righteousness, indwelt by God, in fellowship with God. And sin is, is like putting sand in your gas tank. It's, it's like cancer in the body. It's like breathing uh, carbon monoxide instead of fresh, pure air. Um, you know, John Wesley re- used to re- say, say repeatedly that something to the effect that holiness and happiness go together. I mean, to, to have the works of the devil destroyed is, is truly great, great news. It's, it's, to have the works of the devil destor- destroyed in, as far as destroying the practice of living in sin, it's to be on the road to wholeness and health. You know, Peter uh, put it this way. Uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live 
to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Dying to sin and living to righteousness is is healing. I mean, it's it's ultimate healing. It's health and healing. And I don't, I don't discount physical healing here because this this passage from certainly in Isaiah and in Matthew is used to to apply to physical healing. But there, there's an even there's an even greater uh, greater message here of healing. It's the the healing of the soul, the healing of the entire person that comes as we we die to sin and live to righteousness. And so Jesus came to destroy sin in your life so that you might be healed. So you might really be a whole person again. You might be restored to the image that God created you to be and wants you to be. Jesus did did not come uh, just to tell us that we are bad people and that we need to be better people. Uh, Jesus did not come primarily to tell us to stop sinning. Uh, Jesus did not come to condemn us for being sinners. The, the law did that. Jesus came primarily to liberate us from sin by going to the very root of sin, which was the devil working upon us and in us. So he, he came to sever our ties with the devil, with the kingdom of darkness. And that's what Paul talks about in Colossians. He came to to rescue you from the domain of darkness and to place you into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's exactly what salvation is. It's, it's, it's nothing less than that. It's, it is certainly forgiveness and cleansing of our sin, release from the condemnation of the law, but it, it's also release from a kingdom of darkness. It's being placed into a kingdom of light, into, into a place of living in Christ in the kingdom of, of light. At the end of verse 5 and uh, 6, it says, There is not any sin in him, or some translations say there is no sin in him. No one who remains in union with him or no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. The one who keeps on sinning hasn't seen him or known him. It, very interesting. Christ was revealed, and if we, if we really see him... If we, if we see him and know him, uh, John says that, that one will, cannot keep on sinning. Uh, kind of surprising to me, John Calvin had some, some of the best comments on this passage. He said, uh, Christ puts sin to flight just as the sun drives away darkness by its brightness. You know, Christ is, is just such a glorious, holy being that just looking to him for salvation, seeing him and looking to him in faith, keeping our eyes on him, seeing him and knowing him, John says, puts a stop, puts a stop to living in sin. And as I said, I mean, we know from other passages that we have not, we've not fully arrived, none of us. Uh, we're, we, we've not reached the state of perfect sinlessness uh, we, we, we all stumble and fall, occasionally sin. But the idea here is that in a, in, a, in a substantial way, we are done with the life of sin. And I've shared this many times over the years. Francis Schaeffer said, uh, there's not perfection, but there is substantial healing in this life. 
There's not perfection in this life, but there is something substantial. There's something real. There's a real difference. And you can't, you can't read the Bible and not see that, that this difference that Christ makes is, 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 is truly something substantial. Verse 7, little children. I love the way he talks to us as little children. And we need to be talked to that way sometimes. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous, just as the Messiah is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so, so the logic here is very, is very clear. Uh, there's, there's no sin in Christ. Therefore, those who are connected to Christ, this one in whom there is no sin, those who are, abide in him, those who are attached to him, those who love him, those who see him, those who know him, those who associate with Christ, John says, will not continue or will not keep on sinning because we are of Christ. And his very mission is to take away sin, but also just because... In him, there is, there is no sin. He, he, is, he is righteousness personified. He is uh, pure. And so our, by our association with him, uh, we, we begin to practice or live in righteousness. On the other hand, John says the devil is full of sin. He has sinned from the beginning. And so those who are of the devil will continue on in some kind of sinning. Uh, it, it may be gross sexual immorality. It may be more socially acceptable sins like arrogance or pride or despising other people or tearing other people down or quarreling or greed or self-righteousness. Um, but John is saying that sinning, uh, righteousness flows out of Christ and our attachment to him and sinning flows out of a connect, spiritual connection to the devil uh, that many people don't, don't, don't even uh, know they have or not aware of. So John says, everyone who continues to practice sin is of the devil. So sin or righteousness flows out of who we belong to. It flows out of who we live in. And so whoever you are of determines the way that you, that you will live. And so here's really a, a powerful thing, I, I think. Uh, merely, merely by... And I don't mean merely like it's really some small thing, but but I I, I think it's it's something a little bit different than what we normally think of as how, how we battle sin. Merely you, or merely by you being in Christ and Him being in you, as you abide in that relationship, will cause sin to be destroyed in your life and righteousness and love to dominate your heart and life. It has to. It's, it's the only way it can work, John says. If you're, if you're of Christ, you're going to practice righteousness. If you're of the devil, you're going to continue to live in sin. And again, that brings us back as we go kind of work our way through the passage to the verse that I emphasized at the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to destroy what the devil had been doing. And again, I submit to you, this is, this is great news. This is great news for those who want uh, the darkness and the misery and the dis- destruction of sin to be taken out of their lives. And if you want that, this is fantastic news. 
Okay? If, you, if, you, if you want to hang on to it, you really determine in your heart you want to, you want to cling on to an old way of living, this is, this, this is not good news. <laughs> the, message, it, the message that John gives us is, is that the power of Christ is so great that once he indwells you, you simply cannot go on sinning. You cannot go on practicing sin. And now I, I certainly would not encourage any kind of, of passive acceptance of things that you know to be sinful in your life. I, I'm not, not going there, but I think this is really important. There is a real in sense in which you just trust this work to be done in you by Jesus Christ. He is the one who takes away your sin. He is the one who destroys the work of the devil. It's by your focus on him, by your relationship with him, it's by abiding in him that this stuff gets done. It is his work to take away your sin. He came, he was born into this world to do that. You respond to him, but it is, it is his work. By your union with Christ, sin has to go. So Christ came. He's the one. You can't. I, I'm not, I just, basically what I'm saying is you can't on your own destroy the works of the devil. It takes, it takes the power of Jesus Christ. Christ came to destroy the bondage, the darkness, the rebellion, the corruption of our hearts. And really, what, I mean, what could we do against these things? Uh, what, what, could, what could we do against such a power as the devil had over us? Really nothing without the work of Christ. Only Christ could destroy such a hold as the devil and sin had on us. There's a, a Christmas song, hymn, uh, that I think communicates this in some way. It says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And that's, that's really a pretty good picture of salvation. I mean, it takes Christ coming into our life, uh, being born in us and casting out our sin. And uh, as, as people who, who are born of God, I mean, that, that is, uh, we, we agree with that prayer. Cast out our sin, enter in, be born in us today. We love that. So Christ comes in and destroys uh, your propensity to sin, your inclination, your love of sinning, your sinful ways of living. Uh, The old commentator Matthew uh, Henry on this passage said, as a justified believer, he is taught and disposed to righteousness by the Holy Spirit. There is that light in his mind which shows him the evil and the malignity of sin. There is that bias upon his heart which disposes him to loathe and to hate sin. There is that spiritual principle that opposes sinful acts. That's the work of Christ in a human heart. Okay? So John really, in a sense, kind of waits till the, to the end of this passage to answer what, what I... We've kind of answered it throughout, but he... He, he kind of gets very specific and just just hits the nail on the head here at the end of this passage. To, and he answers this question, okay, why can't I go on sinning? Or put it another way, how is sin 
destroyed in me. Verse 9 answers that. No one who has been born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. He cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. So the answer is because there's, there's something new. There's a work of God put within you, placed within you. Uh, he, he cannot go on sinning because he's born of God. And we probably all know and have heard that those who turn to Christ for salvation are, are born again or born, a, born of God. Uh, God's seed uh, here in this passage is, is, is just the nature of God. It's the, the, the Holy Spirit. It's God's nature put within us through, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ coming to live within us through the Holy Spirit. And so the whole plan and purpose of the new birth at least a big part of the plan and purpose of the new birth is to destroy sin. And God's work in you through the new birth is, is just too powerful to let you stay in bondage to sin, the devil, or the world. No one who has been born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. He cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. Very interesting, very interesting thing here. The, the, the purpose of this passage is not really to say Christians should not sin. Okay, I mean, there's, there are, it does say that in other, other places. John says, I write to you so that you will not sin. That's not really what John is saying. He's not, he, his emphasis here is not really that Christians should not sin. The purpose of this passage is, is to say Christians cannot sin or at least cannot continue to live in sin, cannot continue or go on living in sin. When Christ comes in, sin and darkness must go. So being born of God, John says, is, is, is such a powerful work that it's, it's, it's so powerful that it's able to destroy the practice of sinning in your daily life. And that's, that's, ama- that's an amazing thing. That's amazing news. So if you are born of God, there's been a deep, radical transformation within you. And there, there's an in, in, internal uh, pressure, if you will, created by God within your heart towards holiness and righteousness and love. And you can fall, you can stumble, but the bent of your life is toward righteousness and love. And you, you've received a new nature that abhors sin, uh, a new nature to live in righteousness and in love. Uh, a, a Bible uh, teacher named, named Jack Arnold, Arnold, which I've read on a Precept Austin, which is really a good Bible study site, uh, put it this way. It is this new nature from God that gives Christians the desire, leaning, propensity to live a holy life. A Christian cannot sin without a struggle or without a sense of grief so powerful that ultimately, despite his struggles, he will be brought to repentance and a forsaking of sin. I think that's a pretty good statement. 
A Christian cannot sin without a struggle or without a sense of grief so powerful that ultimately, despite his struggles, he will be brought to repentance and a forsaking of sin. Sin is no longer natural to the believer, though for a time he may slip into it. Nevertheless, it is now contrary to his new nature from God. All right. In a short time, that's, that's, that's really the best I can do to give you just a, a, a teaching of this passage. But I, I want to just end up by by trying to get us to think about what difference does this make? What difference does this really make for me? Number one, you are, you are not fighting sin and striving for righteousness on your own. <laughs> there's, there's a powerful work of Jesus Christ going on inside of you. So powerful uh, the John says you cannot keep living in sin. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it sounds almost shocking that like maybe that's it's too strong, but there's a work of Jesus Christ going on inside of you so powerful that you, in a sense, must practice righteousness. That's, that's the only way out. Every other door is being closed up to you. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a work going on in you that's going to drive you that direction. You might as well surrender to it. Uh, and yes, we you, we you know we choose to follow. We we choose uh, in daily life to to respond to the Holy Spirit, to obey. We're not robots, but but it it, it is this over. It is overwhelmingly the grace of God at work, equipping, teaching, empowering, moving you, stirring you to live in righteousness, peace, love, and joy. Kindness and goodness in the Holy Spirit. Number two, you are to have great confidence in the work of the Spirit in you to destroy sin and to produce righteous living by you. And again, I'm going to quote Calvin here. He said, For wherever Christ puts forth his own power, he puts the devil to flight as well as sin. You know, we, need, we, need, we, should, we should think that way. Great confidence in the work of the Spirit in you to destroy sin and to produce righteousness. Third, you are, you should, I think you are to view yourself or have an identity. um, I think sometimes that word identity gets overused, so I put view yourself. You're to view yourself as someone who is inclined to righteousness. No, you're not perfectly sinless. And no, you haven't fully arrived. But because you are born of God, you accept this this powerful direction in your life that you are on a path of righteousness. So you view yourself as one who is inclined to righteousness. Again, Calvin said... This is the best of, of, of what I quoted from him so far. Let us know that our own hearts are so ruled by God's Spirit that they constantly cleave to righteousness. Now, that's part of, out of his commentary on this passage. But let us know that our own hearts are so ruled by God's Spirit that they constantly cleave to righteousness. In other words, the power of the Holy Spirit is so effective in you that it's compelling you to live in righteousness. And again, just give yourself over to that. Give yourself to that. Surrender to that. 
I, I love the way the New Testament, many times, it, it really doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't really command us to, to be something or to do something. It says, let this happen or let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Um, it, it, there, there's a sense that, that, that God is so powerfully at work within you, all you have to do is, is just let him, let him do it, let him work. I think the devil wants you to believe differently, um, but the power of the Spirit is so effective um, that you're, you're being directed and led powerfully in paths of righteousness. So I, I, I actually do, personally, I know other people might think differently, but I actually think it's wrong to go around with some kind of false humility saying, you know, I never do anything but sin, I never do anything but fail, I just mess things up all the time. That's really to, that's really to discredit the power of God. It's, certainly it's unbelief, it's not living in faith. Uh, but it's really to deny the word of God and to, de- to deny the, the power of God. Uh, fourth, you are not in bondage to whatever sin it is that you think has a grip on you. I don't care if that's anger or sexual sin or pornography or some addiction, addictive behavior. Um, according to the Bible, sin and sins do not have the power over you that you might think they do once Christ has entered your life. Christ did not, Christ did not come to, um, how shall I say it? He did not come to just kind of like slow down the devil a little bit. He didn't, didn't come to just kind of hinder a little bit his work in you. It says he came to destroy the works of the devil. Yes. You know, I don't have these numbers, so I, I'm, I have no idea which one number four was. Was it? Uh, yes, you are not in bondage to whatever sin it is that you think has you in its grip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a very similar one, I guess I would call it number five, uh, you are not under the grip of the devil. I mean, some people kind of, I, I hear Christians talk in some way as, as if, uh, you know, they're just kind of living under this dominion where the, the devil's ruining everything and messing them up and keeping them from living in joy and all, all this stuff. Uh, you are not living under the grip of the devil. The, the, the devil does not have you or your life under his thumb. He, he is not wrecking your life. He's not keeping you locked up in your in sinful habits. Uh, and I'm going to refer to 1 John 5, 18, which says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God, and who's that? Jesus Christ. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It says the whole world is under the, the, the power or the control of the evil one. But it says we are not. The whole world is his, but you are not. And then 
One last one that I'm just going to tack on here at the end. I really didn't have it in my notes, but, and I didn't include this verse, but the very, the very next verse after our text that we put in the, in the bulletin talks about how uh, those, those who are of God walk in righteousness and in love. And if we don't walk in righteousness and love, then we're not of God. And so... Uh, it's not only that that Christ takes something from us, like takes our sin. He takes away our sin. That's a that's a big deal, though. It's a really big deal to be freed from that. But it's it's that it's that through through His new birth in our heart and soul, He He puts within us the this the the impulse, the desire, the drive toward righteousness, and particularly righteousness expressed in love. I mean, John always comes back. That obedience is love. Keeping the commandments is love. Practicing righteousness is love. So, I mean, if you want to know what really righteous living is, it's, it's just it's, it's to walk in this in this um, pa- this passion, this pure, this purity, this wholehearted love, wherever you are, whoever you're with. The, the love the next person, as they say. You know, it's. Uh, this walk that, that God has called us to is to free us from sin and then certainly to walk in, in, in purity and as far as avoiding sin of all kinds, but, then, but we practice righteousness. We don't practice sinning anymore, but we practice righteousness and we practice loving. And so the whole object of our lives, the, the positive direction of our lives becomes that we love righteousness and we practice righteousness we, we love holiness and purity. We, we walk in those things. We practice those things. We love loving people. And we love being people of love. And so the whole, whole direction of our life, instead of being people in bondage to the devil, living in sin and selfishness, we are called out of that by the, by the work of Christ, by his destruction of the devil's works, and creating in us through the, through the new birth uh, the power to walk in righteousness and to love people with all of our hearts. So the joy, the, the joy we could say of Christmas, or the joy of the incarnation, the joy over the birth of Christ is rooted in this redemption, this deliverance uh, from sin. And, th- and this is why we rejoice. And I, I love the words from the song, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, where it says, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Okay, don't, don't let anything spoil your joy, gentlemen and ladies. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born, us, born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. So we rejoice because uh, Christ saved us from this partnership with the works of the devil that we were in, which were destroyed by Christ, and it was for this very purpose that the Son of God was born into or came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and, and liberate you and me from practicing sin and make us people who practice uh, righteousness and love. Let's pray.